Hanging Out, Indiana's only LGBTIQ plus news and public affairs show, featuring music, events, and interviews, both local and global. Live from the WFHB studios in Bloomington, Indiana, this is Blooming Out. Thank you for tuning in or streaming or downloading Blooming Out on WFHB. I'm Melanie Davis. I'm Ireland Meacham. I'm Lucas Fisher. And this week we have another special episode of Just Married. Yay! <laughs> uh, we're welcoming Jennifer and with us today in studio or at home <laughs> are Melinda and Carol. And uh, we're going to be hearing their story and then speaking with them about their journey and relationship. And I can't, I can't wait. So uh, Jennifer, could you do the honors of introduction? Well, it's lovely to be here with you all. And it's my pleasure to introduce Carol McCord and Melinda Swenson, not just because uh, their story is so much fun to listen to, but because they're friends of mine. And it was a total honor and privilege to sit with them and really hear their story, which, you know, you could be friends with people and not really know all the ins and outs of how they make their decisions and how they fall in love. And uh, I think you'll enjoy this story and uh, a little, a little bit of a, you know, a, a deeper look into love and relationships and sexual fluidity, actually. So, um, so let's hear their story, and we can talk after. Great. Let's move into this. If not now, tell me when. If not now. Welcome to Just Married, stories about love and citizenship in the decade of marriage equality. I'm Jennifer Bass. This show tells the story of same-sex couples in the heartland and their journeys into marriage. When Melinda and Carol first met in 1982, they never imagined what their light-hearted friendship would become. Melinda was married to Daniel when she first got to know Carol. I was, had been working for Planned Parenthood and I left Planned Parenthood to teach at the university. And, but I knew Planned Parenthood had great resources that I wanted to use in a class I was teaching. Mm -hmm. I went back to Planned Parenthood to ask if I could use some of their AV resources. And who do I run into but this young woman who was in charge of sort of lending materials that had to do with human sexuality, which is what I was teaching. But then we figured out that we also knew each other from going to the same church. So I invited Melinda to come speak for me when I was assistant dean for women's affairs. Yes. As part of our women's speaker series. And then Daniel and I yes. had a closer connection for a while. So this was my husband. And he liked to go to the Y and run around the track and then spend most of his time in the hot tub. <laughs> and that's where care was. So for a long time, I spent more time with Daniel than I spent with Melinda, and he was it's a good friend. Yeah. Though they had known each other for years, Melinda and Carol's friendship deepened in 2005 when Melinda's husband, Daniel, died of cancer. After Daniel died, I went, of course, to the memorial service mm -hmm. and saw you at church, but so, we don't remember how this happened, but somehow I invited Melinda to come to, <laughs> to a university production 
the vagina monologues on campus. My student group was sponsoring it. I have to work through the whole thing. I'm working with the students and the production. And I'm kind of looking around thinking, here I am in totally alien territory. These are all undergraduates. So I don't know anything about them. This was not a date. This was, this was, no, was an just... event to which I was invited. But we remembered. It was Valentine's Day. Oh, but what I really remember is that afterwards, we sat in your car. Oh, yeah. And I said, how are you doing? And you told me in much more detail the story mm -hmm. of Daniel's death. Mm -hmm. And it was, it was actually the first time I had sat down with somebody who wasn't intimately involved with it and told the whole story of his last week or so. And I felt comfortable to talk to you. And it was kind of a relief to be able to sort of let go of it, or at least start. The other thing I remember is when you were sending out updates to people, mm -hmm. kind of pre-caring bridge, when you were sending updates mm -hmm. via mm -hmm. email. And, um, sent to you. You sent, yeah, to me. And I remember writing to you that he's been the lucky guy, had been a lucky guy to have such a good relationship. And that at some point I ho in my life I hoped to have a relationship as good as yours was, the two of you. Cool. I had no idea it would be you. <laughs> Carol was going through some issues of her own breaking up with a longtime girlfriend and needing to move out with her old, infirmed cat. Melinda offered temporary refuge, both for Carol and her cat. So I had a kind of a cat infirmary going on here. I said, you can bring your cat to the cat hospital over here, and I can just take care of your cat along with at least two of mine that were sick. And so we had a cat hospital. You know, this is ridiculous. We're having a great time living together. Why don't you just live here? Besides, by then I was pretty interested in her. I don't know that we were paying that much attention at the time. I was decided, I think I'm actually in love with this person. Because yeah. it was so gradual and so... It just was a slow-growing plant. And then we sort of said, wait a second, this is like... I think I know what this is. And then I thought, well, wait, that can't be right because I'm totally straight. And I was thinking, this can't be right because she's straight. <laughs> I have a lot of straight friends. And I have a lot of gay I've friends. Never, never had a relationship with any of them. So it you know, just took a while to see what was happening. Well, when, when you did choose to come out to people, mm -hmm. who you came out to, oh. I thought was interesting. The order in which you came out to people and the people you felt comfortable coming out to mm -hmm. and the people who you then didn't feel as comfortable coming out to and how you did it. It didn't feel like I was a different person, that I had any different values, that I had any different interests. I thought, come out. What can I say? I just love you. And why bother? People will figure this out. It seemed like it just flowed onto something else. Meanwhile, the fight for marriage equality was heating up around the country. When marriage became legal in California, Melinda's daughter invited them to come out and get married. They were touched by the gesture, but weren't quite ready to jump into wedding planning. Then a year later, it happened in Indiana. So that day, um, which was June 25th, um, in, in Indiana, we sat, you know, we listened to the news in the morning and said, oh man, it's legal in Indiana. Maybe we should get married. So we said, well, we'll go think about it, and tomorrow morning we'll make a decision. Or we'll have a cup of coffee. You, well, you 
You had to work at them. I was working that day. And I had a mammogram up in Indianapolis, so we were busy. <laughs> we, we couldn't well, go We can't day. go today. Today just won't work. So we got home and said, well, tomorrow morning we'll decide. Well, and Linda came up with, let's go to bed. Yep. Wake up in the morning and over coffee, we'll discuss and see what we want to do. So I'm listening to the radio in the morning and it's, you know, still, it's legal. still legal. Today. Do so, you want to do it today? So we went over to the courthouse about 10 o'clock in the morning. Mm -hmm. So I'm just dressed in my regular clothes. And Carol says, you can't wear that to get married in. And I had so I had to change my clothes. Just your shirt. I just put just on your t-shirt. I just said. She said you can't get married in a t-shirt. I think a t-shirt. So, okay. We so, were pretty casual. I yeah, we were wearing clothes, but a we went in there, and there's yeah. a young woman in the lobby passing out white roses. So she gave each of us. She says everybody should have flowers on the day they get married. So sweet. Mm -hmm. So now we're crying. So we go in the, the clerk's office, and there's nobody in front of us. We are right there. We walk right up to the desk and apply and she is cool as can be and then she starts crying she says this is why I love my job but then she said when are you going to have your ceremony and we said oh we don't know maybe later today maybe on the weekend she said let me tell you you better do it right away because they've already filed the paperwork to rescind this so I'm signing off my name and she's on the phone calling Marianne saying could we get married right now? Are you, can we do it now? Right, right now? now? She's like, well, and she I'm said, church. I'm at church. Come on over. <laughs> okay. On the way over there, we're trying to, we've got to have witnesses. So in about 20 minutes, we had two witnesses, two dogs in the car. The minister, one of the church administrators said, I'll take pictures. So in our own church, on a beautiful day, we... We had no vows. She we walked right in. Did we hadn't thought about what to say? She walked right in. She had it. It was a beautiful ceremony. I hardly remember. The church has a wooden sculpture, and it's made from the tree. It's made from a tree that Daniel tried to save for years, and finally church. couldn't save. And our other minister saved it about an eight-foot section of this tree, and they carved it into a kind of tree. a infinity symbol. And it sits in the front of our church, and on the, the little plaque says, In the Spirit of Dan Willard. So I was going to move this thing, which weighs about 500 Three, pounds. Yeah, it's hundreds of pounds, yes. But it's got a round base, so I could roll it. So, so we have a picture, and he was our best man. It was so perfect. He stood up, and he was there, and our witnesses, and Marianne, and the whole thing took about 10 minutes. One year later, exactly, was the Supreme Court's final decision that it was legal. So on our first anniversary. On our first anniversary. Our first anniversary. Our very same So day. we ended up on the front page of the HT. <laughs> that was a little shocking. <laughs> then then we were really out. This is the this is the Supreme Court from the Supreme Court's um, final uh, pronouncement on uh, same sex marriage from a year from Anthony Kennedy. The year later. The year later, one year exactly. No union is more profound than marriage, for it embodies the highest ideals of love, fidelity, devotion, sacrifice, and family. In forming a marital union, two people become something greater than once they were. As some of the petitioners in these cases demonstrate, marriage embodies a love that may endure even past death. It would under misunderstand these men and women to say they disrespect the idea of marriage. Their plea is that they do respect it, 
respect it so deeply that they seek to find its fulfillment for themselves. Their hope is not to be condemned to live in loneliness, excluded from one of civilizations. It always gets me. Oldest institutions. They ask for equal dignity in the eyes of the law, and the Constitution grants them that right. Isn't that great? Support for Just Married comes from the Indiana University's Department of Gender Studies, the Office for Vice President for Research New Frontiers Program, and the IU Bloomington Arts and Humanities Council. WFHB's Blooming Out is our podcast host. Thanks this week to Alex Harrison, who got help from Betsy Joes and Michael Hamburger, and to Carrie Newcomer and the Blue Note Sessions for musical selections. Listen to Just Married podcasts on wfhb.org slash just dash married or find us on Facebook at Marriage Equality Heartland. <sighs> I'm crying again. Yep. Me too. <laughs> I think you're crying. It was a beautiful story. I love that you had your dogs at the ceremony. It, it actually wasn't our dogs. They belonged to the witnesses, but they had, they were on their way to the vet and they stopped by and said, we got dogs. I said, okay. I love that. Yeah, well, I'm a huge dog lover. So I think yes, that's- Yes, we are. We love animals. Yeah. And what, I, I, did, what, I did want to say that the, that the sculpture, which is called the Infinitry, um, was, was sculpted by James Alexander Tom in, in Daniel's spirit. And wow. it, 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 I want to be sure that he got some credit for that because it's a beautiful, beautiful sculpture. Well, one thing that really struck me listening to it this time was both <laughs> the intensity of that day. You know, these were two days in June when the Indiana courts allowed for same-sex marriage to happen and you took advantage of it. So it was profound for you and you had Daniel there with you and everything else. And yet it was so uh, impromptu and fluid, you know, like so many things that you've done. So maybe you could, you know, talk about that kind of, uh, you know, dichotomy there and how. Well, what I would say was we had talked about getting married, but it seemed like it was too hard. Our families lived all over the place, not near here. You know, I'm thinking about what to wear and where to have it and meals. And and one of the biggest worries for me was telling my parents, who knew I'd been living with Carol for years and loved her, but, you know, in their 80s, couldn't quite get their head around the idea of me getting married again, not this time to a woman. So um, it, it was... My daughter is 100% in favor, but she would have been no problem. It was my parents I was worried about. And mostly the reason we didn't do it sooner, because it just seemed like it was so fraught with trauma and drama, and we just didn't want to do it. And so doing it like this was like super perfect. It was like eloping. Just like us. Fit us perfectly. And and I will say, when Pam invited us, we were really touched and we would have done it. Mm -hmm. Except that we were trying to figure out all this stuff about families and Gosh, that means her sister and all of that complication. My brother, my sister. I mean, it was just, it went, I was, and I said, I've helped several straight friends get married and been happy for them. And I've heard about the traumas and I've supported them. But I didn't know till I was doing, it was like that trauma of setting it up, the wedding 
was more traumatic to try to figure out than, than the marriage or being with, I already was with this person. I love her, but I thought, I don't know if I, we just were like, this is overwhelming. This is too I, hard. So this was perfect was for perfect. us. Absolutely perfect. We And you're right, Jenny, we took the advantage of the moment and just said, oh, absolutely, let's just do it. And we are so glad that we did it. Yeah, it's perfect. We did have a big question with each other of, will we later feel badly that we oh. didn't have a big wedding, that we didn't we didn't take time and organize it and do it in, in that sort of more for, formal way? Will we later regret we did it this way? And in fact, we figured out what Lindy came up with. Well, actually, I think we'll regret it if we don't. It was like, that's exactly right. We yeah. will. So let's, yeah. let's do it. Let's just go ahead. But it did become a lot more urgent to do quickly when we were actually in the clerk in the office signing the paperwork. And so I called the minister. I mean, we drove right over there, drove back. I think we did the whole thing in about an hour and a half. <laughs> yeah. I mean, by the time we got it turned in, it was a totally, yeah, probably an hour and a half total from deciding maybe to get oh, do So it. then after that, I had to get a haircut and my hairdresser said, I usually cut the bride's hair before the wedding. <laughs> that was a great line. <laughs> and then we went over to um, um, Argentum. Argentum to buy rings because we didn't have any wedding rings. And Sally, who's a friend of ours, and we're saying uh, we have to pick out the rings. And she said, you're a one of several couples that have been in here today. And a couple of them asked me if I could do the ceremony. <laughs> said, Sally said, I am not a, I, I'm not an officiant, I can't do it, but she helped us pick out our wedding rings. And later that evening, we went back to the Uptown and had a little rehearsal dinner as a reception with some of our friends who were involved in the day, and it was wonderful. Yeah, just the people who were there. So we did everything sort of reversed, <laughs> which was a little problematic in terms of telling people because it turned out we forgot to tell some really important people who were dear to us until weeks or months later, we're talking about other things. We said, well, when we got married and I had a couple of friends went, wait, you got married? <laughs> when did that happen? <laughs> and when I went back to work that day, I said, sorry to be late. And my, my secretary, she said, you, did you get married today? Just like that. I mean, figured it out. It was really funny. It's good for us. Yeah. I, I, because partly because of my work at Planned Parenthood with young women who were, you know, pregnant or had to say some bad news to their parents. And I usually told them to write a letter, write a note, because you've had time to get used to this, but they haven't had time to get used to it. And so I wrote an actual pen and paper letter to my parents afterward and told them how happy I was and what we had decided to do and why we had done it without them, which I knew would hurt their feelings in some ways. And um, they were so loving and so supportive and just kind of adopted Carol as their own daughter. And um, I just was back home. This is now however many years. And I found that letter that I had sent to my mother and she kept. And I thought, wow, she, it was, it was fine. It was fine. I was thinking that they would be hurt or shocked or something. They were fine. In fact, Melinda's father, Melinda's mother died. We lost her a couple of years ago. Her father just turned 99 two days ago. Wow. Amazing human being. He's literally a rocket scientist, developed the lunar landing module and the first plane <laughs> that broke the speed of sound. And he's like, he's a terrific man. And he sent us for Valentine's. He always sends all of us girls 
his Valentine's cards and his card to me said, um, with love from your father, Bill. So now I'm going to cry. Yeah. Right? Now we're all crying. I know. I'm like, all over again. You know, ironically, one of the things about our life that together is we really make each other laugh all the time. So they're trying to go to sleep. It's hard because we make each other laugh and can't like go to sleep. We don't really cry this much. We're really, this is not our usual mode, but this, this is, Emotional, impressed. but when we do cry, we cry at the same things. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's a it's a happy cry. It's a it's a beautiful cry. Um, because I I I love hearing these stories. I love uh uh seeing how actually you react to the story that <laughs> your own story. Um, because it's it's that you know pulling back of memories and and going back over it and what seems like you're saying so fraught at the time like you know oh my god we can't possibly do this and then it just aligns and it comes together and it seems like that's what's been happening throughout your lives things have just been coming together and it, it's a natural progression and it was always supposed to be and that's gonna cry again <laughs> We, every night we say we are so lucky. We are so lucky. We have such a great time together. But I love that observation, Melanie. I do feel like, and what Jenny said, I mean, spontaneity has sort of been part of, in fact, it's so much so that we can't even identify when we said, when we had our very first date. So we came up with that, remembering, we only remember the date of when she went came to Vagina Monologues, but it wasn't a date. <laughs> we can't really, people have these anniversaries of our first date or, first time we kissed or the first one and we're like yeah i don't really remember when that happened we just <laughs> we should have kept better track right yeah put it on the door jam you know <laughs> well, i still have a problem when somebody said how many years have you been married yeah. and we said we got married in, tw in 2014 and we also then we were legal in 2015 so which year was it you know and we were together for how many years before oh, years. so yeah yeah, yeah. you know I do. I do have to put it in context, though, because of course, you know, your your story is in this archive now. It's historical. What happened to you happened. Mm -hmm. um, the only reason you know the word recording this is because suddenly, you know, it, there's not going to be gay marriage anymore, right? It's just going to be marriage. A regular That's marriage. Right. We need to have these stories for people, you know, historians or young people later. I mean, right now, it's like I was just reading this report that. You know, this huge percentage of young people consider themselves um, bisexual or, mm -hmm. you know, that's that's so different than it was even when you got married in 2015. It was wasn't even that that strong, yeah. uh, you know, a correlation like things have just changed so much for this generation that your story or your experience of, you know, we used to say, oh, she left, you know, the man would say she left me for another woman and everybody would go, what? A woman? You know, she's now with a woman. How did that happen? And it's just not news anymore. But it, right. was, it was news when it happened to you. It was news. And and we knew so many people and, and the conversations among the LGBT community was, oh, you know, oh, you're married already? Where did you go? Oh, New York. Or we went to California. Vermont. Vermont. And so here in Indiana, um, we were at the, you know, back of the pack, which is not unusual for the state in other ways too, but it, 
it was something that at first, so the questions we even had for ourselves changed. First was, would you ever consider getting married if it was legal? I don't know. I don't know what I think about joining that that particular um, institution. institution that has already kept us out. And, um, I always thought I never would want to be or have a wife. I thought that was such a pejorative term in my mind as sort of a Young feminists, I was like, oh, really? Now, if I were male and I could have a husband, maybe that would be okay. I could be, a, but I'm not doing that whole wife thing. That is just counter to my, to sort of my beliefs. Well, here, Melinda been a wife for a long time, and that wasn't negative for her and many of my friends. And then we laughed about it so much that <laughs> now it's totally normal for me to say wife. And that's talk about another change that I never thought I'd get married. Uh, I my, never... my straight women friends always said for years and years and years, what I really need is a wife. What they meant was they needed somebody to take the laundry to the cleaners and, you know, they needed. And I I said, yeah, now I've got one. <laughs> Who is that? <laughs> I'm not taking the laundry to the cleaners. It turns out I'm not very helpful. God, oh, you <laughs> I do have yeah. but, but Jenny, you're right. And then, the, the, but it's interesting as I think about the changes. So would you get married? And then, oh, you did get married. Where? And then when? And then Why? Well, and then people, I had straight friends who said, why did, would you want to do that? It's like, and so I felt like I almost kind of came full circle, but I think partly it's so emotional for us in so many ways, because we didn't think of it as something we, we didn't take for granted, we'd be able to do it. And I wasn't sure also if it would make that big a difference. People said, oh, it made a big difference. A lot of couples said, and I was like, really, could I love Melinda anymore? Could I be any more committed to her? I mean, Lindy's just sort of my best friend anyway. And and I still don't know how exactly how to answer that. It makes sort of, I heard somebody say, and I agree with this, it makes all the difference in the world and it makes no difference at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's that perspective shift that yeah. um, of being in that space and that, that institution and also getting to define it for yourselves. Mm-hmm. You know, there, there aren't all that many scripts for, for same-sex couples to, to be married. And how do you do that? Um, and I think you're writing them. You, you wrote it, you know, and, uh, the other thing I'd say is that we're still living in the house where Daniel and I lived for, and I've been here now 43 years and we have a lot of neighbors who've known me for 43 years, some of them, and they have all been so lovely. It didn't seem to cause much eyebrow raising. Of course, we were on the front page of the paper. <laughs> and after that, nobody had to ask any questions. But um, I, I was a little worried about how we would be in the neighborhood. And it has been absolutely fine. And, you know, don't, we don't go around to say to everybody, hey, this is Carol and me and we're married. But they, they get it. And it's fine. If they have issues, they don't tell us. Have, that's fine with me, too. That's fine with me, too. <laughs> But I like your point about being able to to um, to rewrite the script and not particularly having it. So I watched my feminist friends who got married, chose not to get married, keep their own name, not to keep their own name, go through those things. And Jenny and I have talked about some of these things before. And, uh, and they didn't get stuck in that mold that I had in my mind from, you know, years ago from our parents or parents, parents' generations. Um, but I have to admit, I was a little condescending about the concept of marriage before. So one of the things that did change for me was, and I think you're, it's a good point, being in it versus being outside of it. I'm not as condescending at all anymore. <laughs> in fact, obviously, I've become 
rather emotional about it and sentimental. Yeah. Well, there are, there are those perceptions. My my late ex and I, um, you know, we always said we didn't need to get married. That wasn't a thing that we needed to do. Um, and you know, in, in the situation that we were in, uh, it, it really it, we had to do it at that time or not at all. And um, and once we did, it was it was such a a change. Um, and and so I I know what you're you're feeling about that because we were we we didn't even call each other you know wives or whatever we were spouses mm-hmm. and that was uh um you know our sticking it to the institution you know <laughs> <laughs> but there yeah there there's a lot to be um to be said for for occupying that and and being able to um participate in it the whole thing was those 1400 rights right you know, that you, you get, that's why we're fighting for it. Um, and at the same time, it was, uh, it was nothing at all being just the, you just slip into it and, and there you are. I think that's, that's right. And for me, I'm old enough and I was working at Planned Parenthood when HIV became an issue and AIDS and I had many, um, now I'm going to cry again, um, many close male friends who got very sick and died when lost, but their partners were not, couldn't take for granted at all that they would be able to see their loved one be in the hospital with, have anything to do with end of life decisions with those people. And I think, and that made an impact on me. I, I took care of several friends who died. And um, I think that seeing that really with my gay brothers made me just feel this real pressure of, not pressure, that's not the right word. Um, awareness of how real those issues those laws saying really were yeah and um and fortunately for us melinda and i are now not in that situation mm-hmm. i've known some lesbians who've gone through that and right now with covid actually i've got to say that's bringing back up that up again for me with straight couples are now going through the same kinds of things and parents and children that i watched my gay friends go through and um it's, I mean, in those days are like, you know, did, right, oh, he tested, you tested positive. That meant HIV and AIDS. <laughs> now it means COVID. <laughs> you know, have you gotten, I mean, it's just fascinating for me. And actually Anthony Fauci was really involved in HIV and AIDS too. And he's now involved in this. So I'm having a kind of a reliving my, <laughs> some of my early, both of us have been involved in public health um, experiences as well as personal having friends who had HIV and and died and having friends who had COVID. And I mean, it's just, so for me, that's a fascinating connection that I wouldn't have thought of. And Jenny, you're right. I mean, if somebody hadn't gone through either that or then this, we lose that historical perspective on these things we go through in life. And I think um, that's been a fascinating journey for me too. That's why this archive is important. And I'm really pleased yeah. you're doing it. Me too. I'm glad you're part of it. In a hundred years, maybe that's somebody will say, wow, wasn't that just plain? In the old days, that's why it was in the old days. Yeah, that's great. I hope they think, wow, who cared whether people were gay or, <laughs> or bi or trans or whatever? I mean, why would anybody even care? I hope that that's what they say. Like we now look back and my friends who are, you know, we talked about used to talk about mixed race couples and mm. it's kind of an, people were kind of askance about that. I hope it, we look back, but this will be a good way to make the point of what the process of going through those transitions has been like for people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Jenny or I'm, I'm calling you Jenny now. You were going to say something. I, oh, I, I just was going to say that, uh, Melanie, you and I have to get together and, and tape your story. I mean, the original uh, process of this uh, archive was about the rights of marriage and this, you know, the idea of having this civil uh, these civil rights that you didn't have before and, and kind of capturing that moment. But I think it's morphing now, you know, we've, we've got, we have a lot of those stories now and maybe it's time to spread out and just get the stories of relationships and, you know, everybody's got a story to tell. And yep. uh, we're going to do that someday, Melanie. You and okay. I. <laughs> I don't, I'm, uh, when you're ready. <laughs> My own story. One of the reasons I love hearing about, and and there's so many that we've heard, uh, of you know that for those first couple days when when everything was open, um, and actually um, because of of how I was born and everything, I was um, uh, assigned male at birth. Um, but my uh, ex and I, my I'm not sure how to refer to her. That's a, a Angie and I when we. Back in 99, um, we knew that, you know, the paperwork needed to be taken care of and um, I we wouldn't be able to get married. And so we were like, well, maybe we can sneak it in under the gun. <laughs> so we did. And uh, for many reasons, the relationship um, was probably going to end uh, anyway. But we we ended up having to get a divorce. But we couldn't get a divorce because we weren't married according to the law. So when everybody was getting married that weekend or that that at that time, as we're <laughs> coming out uh, of the courthouse and we ended up being designated the the um, first legally recognized same sex marriage in Indiana officially. Wow. wow. And and that week that that little window of time we were the first legally married uh same sex couple who was divorced. Uh, <laughs> oh, well you covered the first. Wow. <laughs> so but we were we were coming out of the courtroom ecstatic cuz we were able to get that done. And we're seeing all of these couples oh. in the the waiting room uh outside of the courtroom waiting to go in to get married. And they're all happy. So it was just this great, happy day, you know, and hearing all the stories of everybody and, and the struggles that you um, went through personally, you know, like, how, how do I conceptualize this? How am I going to, uh, who am I, you know, going through this? What, what does being a, a spouse mean for us and agonizing over it or never having thought that that would happen? Um, it's just so freaking beautiful. <laughs> I, you do. I, I love your story. Yeah. And I think of how that, how that fits with, I mean, how it bookends in a way that kind of both <laughs> all at once. <laughs> but the, but then it, it's a, it's an interesting thought. I hadn't thought about that part of the rights. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. And then there are people who, who have issues with children. Uh, and we did. Mm -hmm. Right. And so. that another set of rights mm -hmm. and, yeah. And now with like, you know, most of our, um, uh, in our generation, 
most of my LGBT friends who who got married or got together after a certain period of time, there's there's like this window. And they started having kids and having families. And that stability that comes, you know, uh, was really important. And I think that's another aspect of the marriage thing is that stability and and that ability to um, see yourselves even in a, another way as one, you know, it, it's it's like official. And I'm sorry, I'm taking up all the talking. There's, no, there's you're doing a good job. Yeah. It's great. <laughs> it really it, it just adds a different dimension to, to this, what we've thought of as, as our stories. But, but I like your point about the stability. Mm-hmm. I think when I say that marriage didn't make any difference really to my feelings about Melinda or my love of her, what it did do was it did give us a stability. And there's something about um, external validation. So a person who was our previous um, attorney who we'd gone to before we could get married to make sure we had taken care of all of our responsibilities to, um, I have an autistic sister, Melinda's sister and parents and daughter and granddaughter. And we did all that. Actually, then we had to go and redo it all after we were married, which was bizarre. But, um, but he said, so we were talking about, about being married. And he said, well, now like you can walk down the street and hold hands. And if anybody says anything, you can say, Hey, we've got a license License for this. (laughs) (laughs) I thought that was a great, a great description. And I, it was funny, but it was also really empowering. I kind of want somebody to question me so I can say that because it'd be so great to say <laughs> we haven't had a chance to. But I, I would like to say, though, that there are plenty of couples who stuck with each other regardless, yes. in spite yeah. of, you know, all the okay. terrible pressures and the you know, the lack of support that they had from the government and from society. So they're the the ones um, when they say it was different the day after. I'm really interested in that too. Mm -hmm. Like You stuck with each other for 35 years and then you got married because they, they quote unquote, let you do it, you know? Yeah. Um, So anyhow. I hope you get those stories. I hope so too. I think the number of people what I was what I was interested in was the number of people who got married after this who had been together for five years, ten years, twenty five years, thirty eight years, you know, sixty two years. I mean, people who'd been together for longer in a committed relationship than people in many marriages are. I mean, as what Jenny's saying, that was fascinating to me, and it was it was a different kind of larger picture of the of the group of people getting married and pointed to that that point that Jenny's making about how different it was at that time. Mm-hmm. These are people now allowed to. But I have to say there's something that felt awful about the time period after we were married, but it wasn't legal in Indiana for that year. And thinking there are a group of people in Indiana, legislators, who are sitting there making a decision about my relationship with Melinda, who are making a decision about whether they're going to let me join this group that just felt horrible intrusive oh intrusive intrusive. i mean who the heck are you or any of you all to determine what my choices should be about this and and later with all that um the religious the rights of religious groups in indiana to exclude people who were who are gay Mm -hmm. from things it felt awful in the same way who are you to decide how any of us should be able to live our lives. Yeah. That 
is in, in it makes me think of broader civil rights too. Mm-hmm. What it felt like to be excluded from the right to vote, mm-hmm. what it feels like to be excluded from other rights, and how disenfranchising it is on the one hand, and how um, how much we all need to work together to support others in having those opportunities. Absolutely, absolutely. Now yeah, that that's something we've spoken about a lot, you know, especially over this last year, um, is looking at you know the way that lgbt people have uh been discriminated against and being able to understand that you know other people have been going through that for for generations and um and being able to recognize that you know our fight you know we're looking at ourselves and we're like we didn't have this we we could still get fired we can still um and denied housing yeah and and now you know we're it, the struggle is uh is not just this group and this group where it's all together um but also and this is the lovely part how it can be overcome and how does it feel once you're on the other side of an issue like this you know um we we gained those rights we have that now and how uh the world didn't end like they said it was going to. <laughs> but the scary part is, is nothing is ever linear that way. And we might not always have these rights. They've tried to take them away over and over again. You have to pay attention all the time. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And we all do for one another, mm-hmm. for people who are fighting civil rights issues that are not the ones we are fighting, but nonetheless are, are important to them. And again, I think that historical perspective is useful in, that as well and how all these different civil rights have changed over time mm-hmm. yeah. and will hopefully continue to change over time and jenny will be documenting it all for, <laughs> for the next hundred years or so <laughs> that would be fabulous right well i know you have to go it's you you have to go uh soon and i am i honored and i i thank you so much for coming on and sharing your lives and your stories and uh and congratulations on uh finding each other and 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 well thank you for the privilege of inviting us we were really really honored to be here and and of course anything jenny asks us to do we're doing we would do anyway right but it's great great you guys make it really easy thank you and thank you for having doing this show and celebrating these issues and i look forward to hearing your story, Melanie, and anyone else. Anybody else's. Jenny can can get into this business. It's great. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you. Take care. Bye bye. Thank you. Nice to bye. meet you. Bye. Nice bye. to meet you all. Nice to meet you. Love to meet you. Bye bye. <laughs> bye. Aw. <laughs> great story. That was uh, the best story. Oh my goodness. <laughs> <sighs> I was I usually don't cry. I mean, I worked on these stories for a while and I usually don't cry at them, but I was getting all emotional at this one. So that was one you hadn't heard before and you hadn't yeah, hadn't heard that one yet. Um but it was interesting when they were talking about just at the end there, you know, how awful it feels to have other people who don't share your experience at all and have no frame of reference, like being making these big decisions about your life. I'm like, you know, part of the, I'm part of the generation that, you know, like this gay marriage happened when I was a teenager and like 
um, you know, my entire adult life has been, it's been an option for me, but like there are other issues still that we're fighting for. Like right now, the big issue this year in New York, for example, is um, the X gender marker on IDs. Oh, yeah. We're waiting on on legislation for that. Um, that's supposed to happen later this year, but we're not sure. And I'm like, like I can't get an accurate ID. Like I don't have a New York State ID yet, even though I've lived here for like over a year now. Um, and you're supposed to get that like 30 days after you move. But like, um, I don't know. It's just, yeah, it feels um it's yeah it feels awful like they said like that i just i can't get an accurate id um and i don't know when it will happen maybe hopefully this year but you know who knows so yeah we we have different problems like a lot has changed but we still have problems yeah you know but we we have so much to be thankful for totally and it's amazing and yeah, I just really enjoyed listening to their story. Uh, it's just wholesome. Also, I didn't know that about you, Melanie, that you got um, married and divorced on the same uh, on that same day, which is just and you're the first one. That's that's just amazing. I, I don't know. It, it didn't feel amazing at the time. And it, I, I know it probably didn't, but it still is pretty amazing, pretty epic. It it felt, you know there were there were other couples that were going through the court systems to try to get their marriages who that were um, uh, performed in other states where it was legal get them recognized in Indiana, and that was uh, a way of trying to to force the hand of legislators here. Um, and then <laughs> our case was pretty simple since we had cat together, you know how do we how do we set up parenting time and and things and custody and you can't mm. do that if there's no marriage so yeah uh so they had to rule that we were even though there was the indiana's doma um defense of marriage act uh and it invalidated our marriage according to the judge at first um the the uh appellate court said well but what happens in this case, because we have to be able to dissolve the marriage and set up custody rights for a child that was, you know, uh, uh, within this marriage that was legal at the time. So it was mm-hmm. kind of like this little backdoor thing. And yeah, at the time, if you were and we knew this, uh, if you were in a same sex marriage and and one of the partners was um trans or even both uh and that changed after the marriage the the legal paperwork changed after the marriage um what do you do then and some states said that the marriage was legal and some states said that it was not and um then you know mostly fell along the conservative liberal state uh lines but you know the whole marriage thing was now we didn't think we needed to we we you know we were we could legally get married and this is back in the late nineties. Um, but our friends couldn't, you know? And so we had all these friends who were in relationships and they would have loved to have got married, but of course they couldn't. And Mm -hmm. yeah. And we felt kind of, um, odd. We felt kind of guilty, you know, being able to do something that they couldn't. And, um, yeah, I mean, you just had a different story, but yeah, 
it, and they're all stories and they're all I find these beautiful. These are people coming together. Yeah. People who've struggled or tried so hard to um live a life together that was uh it I I don't the language is bad. I don't want to say like a close approximation of because everything but the paperwork, right? Everything yeah. but that um sanction was absolutely the same as as a, a heterosexual relationship and right. and remembering that it's something that was hard fought for uh, i think is necessary i know you know the the kids in the high school that um and junior high and grade school who know who they are and are able to live their truth uh, which is amazing to begin with. But also now, you know, they didn't grow up in it with the mindset that they couldn't enjoy those yeah. uh, institutions. Yeah. So so I I think that's just amazing, personally. I mean, I think anybody would think that it is. But it comes with its own challenges because we still live in the same kind of world. You know, a lot of things haven't changed. Some, you know, most important thing has changed. But, yeah. I think the people out there are are changed i think yeah. that you know the the general public um who were maybe philosophically against it or didn't understand because they thought you know well being lgbt is about uh sex and that's that's all it's about because that's what they've been taught you know right. um and to hear these stories of love and devotion which is what you know they're not all life is about obviously sexuality is a big part of of gay straight whatever um but to hear the stories of love and for for people who didn't understand that queer relationships could be about uh love actual the same thing they experience love uh and now they they get it and i think that they support it in really high numbers even in red states because they're starting to get it yeah you have your your uh people who are just horrible bigots who don't get it who don't want to see it, who still cling on to those 1950s mentality of, you know, the movies where uh, queer people are just sexual predators. Um, and we hear it a lot in the news. But I still think that the vast majority of people, even Hoosiers, uh, and I say that not in a hateful way, but in a, um, yes, we are very red state, uh, are very, very supportive. And that they were talking about, you know, they were surprised at the neighbors. They just accept them. Um, and that, I think, is the biggest change. I think that's the most amazing shift is is the way that we are seen by society and we are accepted in that way. Yeah. I mean, as much as it sucks that, like, other people are making these big decisions about our community and about, you know, us, it's like Carolyn Melinda said, like, um, that external validation from like, you know, the higher ups or whatever is it, it goes a long way to change the minds of people like, and cause all of that bigotry is just rooted in fear and insecurity and just not knowing, you know, just having like having no personal experience, you know, it's not a coincidence that people who live in, you know, Red, red states that are less populated are more likely to be bigots because they've never seen a queer person before. Or they've never, in a, they've never had a queer friend or family member, which statistically is improbable, but like, 
you know, just this like culture creates that um, fear of the unknown. And I think the external validation that they were talking about really makes a difference in that. Yeah, making such things legal, such as marriage, decriminalizes it too. You know, I mean, before, if you got married, it wasn't valid. Mm -hmm. Our relationships weren't looked upon as legal or valid. And as Melanie said too, you know, I, I think that there's more positive visibility now too. And that really helps acceptance. Because when I was growing up, anything in the media that had to do with queer people, we were all deviants and we were murderers. Now they were the funnest part of the movies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's entrenched even up to, I mean, I can think of countless examples of like, media from like the 90s and the early 2000s and stuff that's still oh yeah just totally demonize you know and you know other us and make yeah put us into that category of fear of the unknown sort of thing and there's such a a disconnect uh that i i witnessed growing up so my dad my my adopted dad uh was a, a raging raging homophobe like one of the reasons that I, I don't speak uh, to him anymore is all of the messaging that I got growing up, you know? And, you know, he knew that I was queer. He just he just didn't necessarily understand how. Sorry about that. My phone dropped. Um, and, uh, but, you know, I, I would hear all this stuff coming from him. Um, and it, it hurt a lot. Um, because I knew that I, I could never be accepted at home. And at the same time, he grew up in uh, the same town. And there was a florist and his um, his partner, unfortunately not husband, owned the flower shop in town. And uh, they Don and Ed. And they were well-loved and respected people in town. And everybody kind of just kind just understood that Don and Ed were together and Don and Ed were, were, uh, you know, a partnership that was beyond just, uh, lovers. And they lived right next door to my grandparents. My dad was like neighbors with them. They knew each other. They had each other over for dinner. So there was that, that level of acceptance. And yet at the same time, this other side that is just hateful and fearful and maybe, you know, um, well, I won't go into that. That's speculative. But we were accepted back in the day as long as we didn't make a big show of it. As long as we didn't try to integrate ourselves into the the uh, the same norms and stuff. Because they would just say roommate. That was all mm-hmm. Don and Ed were for 30, 40 years. And when... Um, I can't remember who who passed first, but the funeral was attended by half the town. I mean, it was they were that loved. So there's that willingness of people to accept and to love, even in the face of of their bigotry. Um, and now I think it's just becoming a, a it's becoming something that people can accept socially. They can say. That, oh, of course, you know, that their relationship is valid um, and they're a loving couple because it's acceptable by greater society and they're not going to be 
uh, outcast because they're seen as siding with the the queers. Anyway, <sighs> yeah, I just I love. Can we can we just do these all the time? Are there enough? Do we? Oh gosh, yeah. Of, like, these are always my favorites, favorite episodes. Yeah, me too. And I'm I'm sure there's there is tons more. And that's what's really cool about the project is that there uh, there's stuff that she you know hasn't even interviews she's recorded that she hasn't even put together so yeah i think that's just awesome she's got yeah. a ton of tape and yeah i'm just so thankful that she is doing this project and that you know she's able to get funding for it and that this is going to be a thing like an archived part yeah. of history because it's so important to document this kind of thing um Jaden like, and i were i'm sorry go ahead no, yeah, just because queer history is often erased, if not just not documented, you know, so. Well, and even by the younger generations coming up, they just don't understand that, you know, how things were different. And they, right. they really do need to hear. Um, we, we were talking about doing a, a living history project where we just record people and their stories. You know, these are very specific to relationship. Um, and in that way, our very powerful um but you know also recording just the way it was the way it was to to be queer in in central indiana um yeah from people who who fought literally <laughs> for that um anyway well y'all we're out of time uh thank you to jennifer bass and to carol and melinda for being on the show today mm -hmm. um like i mean what else is there <laughs> that's, that's pretty it. much it okay that's cool it. it's over justin looming out is a production of wfhb community radio oh crap. <laughs> <laughs> i didn't <laughs> um Looming Out is a production of WFHB Community Radio and produced by Melanie Davis and Kate Young. Lucas Fisher is our engineer. For Blooming Out and WFHB, I'm Justin Robertson. I'm Ireland Meacham. I'm Lucas Fisher. I'm Melanie Davis. And remember, if everything were straight, roller coasters would be one long, boring ride. Be well, stay safe, speak truth, manifest equity, demand justice, wear your mask still. And good night from your blooming out family. Bye.